0: Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, choir. We appreciate you bringing your gifts to us and uh, for leading us in that way. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this day and for uh, the joy that we've had already in praising your name together. Uh, Lord, and coming around one another in prayer. Lord, and just even greeting one another as we came in this morning. Uh, Thank you for the joy that we share together in Christ. Lord, we also thank you for your word that continues to speak to us today. Lord, may we hear your word for each of us today. Amen. In July of two thousand and three, I told Katie and suggested that we go and take a walk along Lake Michigan in the dunes, and um, I had a ring in my pocket, and uh, she didn't know that. She thought that that was going to be coming later. And uh, I found a place where it was where it could be kind of alone, and I got down on my knee, and I asked her, Katie, will you marry me? And she said, yes. Woo! Yes, thank you, yes. It's good news. It was good news. And so you know, we just enjoyed that moment together, and then we took a walk, a walk along the seashore, and there were these, these two ladies who were walking our way. And as they walked our way, I just said, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. <laughs> and... You know, they, they hugged us and they, they talked about they'd both been married for, you know, 25 or 30 years and it was still great and all that. You know, it was just that moment where I, I, I couldn't just not share that with these two people who were walking by, even though they were strangers. Over the years, Katie and I have had, had four children and there's that uh, amazing experience of being in the hospital room and having those, those babies come into the world and it's just this amazing experience. And but one of my favorite parts of of that those evenings they've all of our all of our babies have been born at night haven't they no okay most of them been born at night so but (laughs) is the chance to then to then you know 20 or 30 minutes later to be able to get onto the phone and to call our parents and to say we had a boy we had a girl tell them their names it's Something about sharing that message that, that makes the joy of that moment complete. This past week, as I've, as I've known uh, the offering that God brought in last Sunday, you know, we told the staff on Tuesday, and I said, you know, you can't tell anybody about this yet. But I've been telling people all week. <laughs> it's just too good a news not to share, you know? There's something in the telling that makes our joy complete. There's something in sharing a good thing that makes that good thing even better. We don't sit down and make a turkey and stuffing and, 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 and you know, cranberries and good rolls and then sit down and eat it by ourselves. We need it together with other people because it's in that fellowship, in that sharing that good thing with others that makes it whole and complete. My heart was filled with joy when Katie said yes. We were able to talk together as we are walking along uh, the seashore that day, but there was something in the telling that made it complete. My heart was filled with joy when our kids were born, but it was something in the telling that made my joy complete. I told lots and lots of people this past week about how much God had brought in, and it was in the telling that made the joy that I had in my heart about that complete. All of us have had that experience. We've had something so good and so wonderful in our hearts that we just simply have to tell someone about it, and it's in the telling. That our joy is made complete. We're going to begin a sermon series on the, on the book of 1st John if you want to turn in your Bibles there and I want to want to share the first four verses of 1st John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the Father and has now appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard so that you might have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to make our joy complete. Amen. Amen. John has good news to share, and so he writes this letter to make his joy complete complete. It's in the sharing that this good news becomes even richer and more full. Before we get into John's good news, I want to give a bit of an introduction to John and to his letter. Who is this guy, John? Why did he write this letter? What is this letter about? Well John was one of Jesus's disciples, John, the, the brother of James, and he is one of Jesus's very closest disciples. We see at times in his ministry where Jesus uh, draws away from the twelve, and he brings three with them, Peter, James, Pe- three with him, Peter, James and John, and they get insight and get certain teaching and get to see things that the other ones don't get to see. And John was one of those three, Peter, James and John. John is even called the disciple that Jesus loved. So it may even be the case that even among those three, that John and Jesus even had a unique and special relationship that wasn't shared with the three and with the twelve. It seems that John was Jesus' best friend. If Jesus had a best friend, it was John. It was John that... As Jesus was hanging on the cross, John was there with Mary, and Jesus said, John, your mother, take care of my mom when I'm gone, trusted the care of Mary to this man, John. This is John that wrote this letter. He also wrote the Gospel of John and also Second John and Third John. And as you read those other letters and as you read the Gospel of John, there's some certain themes that come out. I've, uh, some of them are on the front of your bulletin. Some certain themes that are really important to John. Uh, themes like belief, the importance of belief in the Christian life and what it means to actually believe. Themes of light and darkness and truth and lies. Uh, he talks a lot about Jesus being the Word of God, which we'll talk about later. John is also most likely the same John who wrote the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. So here for the next couple months, we're going to be looking at this letter that John wrote, and there's a couple reasons why I feel like God is leading us to this right now. The first is that John's letter is very direct and very simple, and so this whole series is entitled Simple Faith. John's view of the Christian life is very simple. He wasn't a philosopher like Paul. He wasn't a storyteller like Luke. His view of the Christian life is very simple and very direct. If you love God, you obey God. If you love Jesus, you're going to love other people. If you love Jesus, you won't sin. He just says it. And just kind of leaves you there with it. There's no nuance. John is black and white, light and dark, truth and lies. John is simple and direct. And John's letter is refreshing in its simplicity. It's concise and direct and simple. As we're in the middle of this very complicated building project, I thought it'd be good for us to come back to the very simple truths and practices of our faith. Second reason that we're looking at 1 John right now is that this book, much of this book is about fellowship. And our theme for this project is connecting our family together and connecting our community to Christ. And one of John's favorite themes is fellowship. And that's the end goal of this whole project, is that we might have better and richer fellowship with those of us who are in our church and those who are without. So fellowship will be a theme that we look at over the next couple of months, and that's important and contributes to uh, this project. And so I would encourage you that uh, over the next few weeks, from time to time, to take out the book of 1 John and just read through it. It'll take you about 12 minutes uh, to read through all of 1 John. And to read through it a few times, maybe once a day or or once a week, I would encourage you to even memorize portions of 1 John, things that are important to you over these next uh, couple of months. So John has some news. He has some news, and here is John's news that he wants you to hear. Are you ready? Here is John's news. You can know God. That's John's news. You can know God. God has made it possible for you to know him. In the opening lines of this letter, John says, God can be known, God has made himself knowable. In fact, not only knowable, but he's made himself touchable and seeable and hearable. That which we have heard, that which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you, I have seen and touched Jesus, John says. I'm telling you about something that I have experienced with my senses. I'm not telling you something that I gleaned from philosophy, or through studying, or through some rational argument, or through some mystical experience. I'm not passing on a message that I've heard from somebody else. I was there. I'm a simple man, John says, I'm a fisherman, and I touched him. He knelt down and he, he washed my feet. After the resurrection, I touched his scarred hands and feet. I heard him, I saw him with my own eyes, I looked and I touched. And John tells us in his opening words that the one who was from the beginning, the one who was from the beginning, God, entered into our human experience and became one that could be seen and heard and touched. John's good news is that God made Himself knowable. You can know God. And so John is writing all of this so that you can know God, not simply to know things about God, not simply to observe a few true things about Him, but that you would come to know God and have fellowship with God. John's news is that God wants to be known and that you can come to know him. So God wants to be known, and that is why he sent his word. John's writings, in John's writings, Jesus is called the word of God, which is kind of a pretty strange thing to say, isn't it? That a word became a person. A word is either something that is spoken that you can only hear, or a word is something that is written out on a page, something that you can see but that you can't hear. But John tells us in 1 John that he heard and seen and looked at and touched the word of life, that he has seen and heard and looked and touched God's word. He calls Jesus the Word of life. And he says the same thing at the beginning of his gospel, in the Gospel of John. In the very beginning, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. A Word is a thing that is written or spoken. The Word of God became a human person. I thought you said this was going to be simple, Ryan. <laughs> John says that he saw and he heard and he touched the word of life. What is John telling us here? Well, John wrote in Greek, and the Greek word for word is the word logos. And logos was used to describe words written on a page or words that were spoken by someone's mouth, but it also had another meaning as well. Logos, especially in Greek philosophy, was the reality that held everything together. Logic is the, the word that we get the word logic from in English. The Logos was the underlying logic that gave the world and life meaning and purpose. And Greek philosopher used Logos to describe the force or the power or the underlying principle that made the world work. So John takes this concept, this idea that the Logos is the underlying principle of the world that makes the world work, and he says that that underlying principle, that Logos, became a human person that could be seen and touched and heard. If John would have been writing to a Buddhist culture, he would have said the Tao became flesh. If he would have been writing to, in Hindi to an Indian culture, he would have said that the karma became flesh. The Logos, the underlying principle that holds everything together, that Logos, that thing became a who. The Logos became a human person. The concept of the Word wasn't important only in the Greek mind, but also in the Hebrew mind as well. What does Genesis chapter 1 say? It was through the Word of God that the worlds were made. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the sun and the moon be created. And God said, let there be the land and the sea. And God said, and God said, and God said. It was through God's Word that the worlds were made. And so the opening of John's Gospel and the beginning of this letter is John's unique way of communicating to us who Jesus is. He is the Word, the divine Logos, who created all things, who holds all things together, who sustains all things and gives life all things. That Word, that Logos, became a human person that we could see and touch and hear. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. So why would Jesus be described in this way as, as the word? Well, it's because God wants to be known. And how do we get to know people? Through their words, right? I can know a lot about people just by observation, just by looking. If, if I'm at a coffee shop somewhere, I can learn a lot about someone just by looking at them, by the way that they dress, by the book that they're reading, by the people that they're talking to, by the way they interact with other people. I can learn a lot about them just by looking, but I don't get to know them until they begin talking to me, using their words to talk to me. So why did the Word of God become a human person? Because God wants us to know Him. The Word became flesh because in Jesus God was communicating His self, His character to us. God was not satisfied with us simply coming to know a lot of things about Him. God wants us to know And so in his divine power, in his divine ability, in his divine creativity, he communicated his own self to us by becoming flesh, by becoming one of us and dwelling with us. God chose to make himself known to us as a real historical person. The first part of John's news that we need to hear and receive today is that God wants to be known to us through his word, And the second part of John's news is that God wants us to be known through Jesus, who is the life. He is the eternal life that's made available to us. Three times in those first two verses, John says that his proclamation is about a life that appeared. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you this eternal life that was with the Father and is now has appeared to us. Eternal life is available to those who know God and enjoy fellowship with Jesus. Now usually when we think about eternal life, we think about eternal life in terms of quantity. Eternal life is really long life, like life that goes on and on and on and on and on. And that is certainly true. When we receive life from Jesus, we receive quantity of life an eternal, forever life. But eternal life is not only about quantity, it's also about quality. It's a particular kind of life that we live. When John says that through Jesus we come to know and receive life, he's not simply telling us that we can have a life that goes on forever and ever and ever. That would be bad news to some people. What he's saying to us is that God gives eternal life, and that is a certain quality of life a life of fellowship with God, a life of abundant joy, a life of perfect peace. That is eternal life that goes on forever and ever and ever. It is about both quantity as well as this certain quality of life that we receive from coming to know God through Jesus. The third part of John's news is that you can have fellowship with God. John's good news is not only that you can know about God, but that you can also know God. And then he goes a step further and says, not only that, but you can also have fellowship with God. Now, fellowship is a very churchy word, right? We don't use it almost anywhere else in our life. You imagine being at a concert at a baseball game and turning to the guy next to you. "Man, this is great fellowship, isn't it? <laughs> we don't say that, but... In, in some ways, I'm really glad that it's kind of stayed within the church. In other ways, I kind of wish it would kind of trickle out there. But it really is this word that describes a particular kind of relationship that we experience in the church. And this idea of fellowship uh, is one of John's favorite ideas. He uses this word koinonia, which is the Greek word for fellowship. He uses that a lot throughout his letters. It was a partnership. Koinonia isn't just getting along together, it's not only knowing one another, it's actually about a partnership, a sharing in some goal or some task together. Tolkien got this right in The Lord of the Rings. What's the first book of the trilogy called? The Fellowship of the Ring. There was this world-altering task that needed to be done. The ring must be destroyed so they're there in this council, and they put together this strange group of people of Gandalf the wizard, and Gimli the dwarf, and Legolas the elf, and the four hobbits, and Baromir, and Aragorn. And they're standing there, and the head elf, Elrond, says, well, there it is, the fellowship of the ring. I really want to read those books again after writing this sermon. Not to mention the fact that dwarves and elves have a real problem. That's right. That's exactly right. It's a really good point. You want to come and preach the rest of my <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, though. That is a perfect point because they didn't get along. But the task, the mission that they had brought them together and made, made their fellowship necessary. Gimli and Legolas and Aragorn and Bar- Boromir all needed to be together. They couldn't accomplish this task by themselves. They needed the hobbits. Why did they need the hobbits? Be- um, I don't need to talk about all this. <laughs> okay, I am going to say this. So they needed the hobbits because they were all talking about who's going to take this powerful ring Because if Aragorn or Gandalf, if they hold it, it's going to be too powerful for them. They will have too much power in their hands. And so they need the hobbits, these weaklings, these little people. They need these hobbits. They need a hobbit to carry the ring because he's too weak. It's only him who could carry that and to resist that power of the ring. Okay. So this was the fellowship of the ring. (laughs) They were this group of nine people who were charged with a task to save the world. They were a fellowship. If it wasn't for them, the world was done. Bad things were going to happen. So there was fellowship. And they weren't together just as friends. They were very different from one another. They were in many ways enemies, but they were brought together for this fellowship. And John says, John says here that God has made it possible for us to have fellowship with God. To not only know about him, know certain things about him, to not only know him, but to have fellowship with him. To join together with him, to partner together with him for a common task. In John chapter 15, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you what? Friends. Because I have made known to you everything that my father has made known to me. You were invited with me into this fellowship so that we can join together in this task this task to make God known to the world, this task to overcome sin and the evil one, this task to love our neighbors, we are called and invited into fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with one another. Fellowship is one of John's favorite words. John would have loved the Lord of the Rings. This is John's news. God wants to be known and he wants to have fellowship with you. God wants to be known and he wants to have fellowship with you. And his love was so great, his desire for that was so great that he took on flesh, became one of us to make himself known to us. And so when we read the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we meet Jesus, the word of God, the word of life who invites you into this knowing and into this eternal fellowship with him. What John is telling us here in these first four verses is that being a Christian is not about a mystical experience, or about a philosophy, or about religious practices. Christianity is not grasped through rational arguments. Those are all important things, but they are not what Christianity is about. What Christianity is about is about knowing and having fellowship with the person. Being a Christian is about being in a relationship with a person, and being in a relationship with a person is both simpler and more profound than any philosophy or any religious activity. There are some people who think, you know, I'll become a Christian once, once I have all of my rational questions answered. And once all of those doubts are answered, once I can figure out the way this whole philosophy and all this logic works, then I'll become a Christian. But that's not what Christianity is about. There are good reasons for our faith. There are good explanations that we can give, good answers for why we believe what we believe. But Christianity is about a relationship with a person which is both more simple and more profound than any philosophical argument. My kids are in a very real relationship with me, their dad. They know me, and they love me. Even Abe, who is 19 months old, has a relationship with his dad. But the complexity and depth of their relationship with me is nothing in comparison to my relationship with my wife. It is simple. My 19-month-old can experience it and know it, but it is infinitely complex to know a person. I know Katie so well that I can come home from work and walk into the back door in the kitchen, and if she is standing there doing the dishes, within a second, I know what kind of day she's had before she even says anything to me. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the way she holds her shoulders or what it is. I don't know. I just know when I see her the kind of day that she has. My mom was, uh, uh, did big brothers and, and big sisters for a long time, and she had a little sister for years and years and years. And uh, one day, um, my mom was with her, her little sister. What was her? Brittany. Brandy. Mom's little sister was Brandy. And my mom and Brandy uh, were, were trying to go somewhere, and my dad was downstairs in the basement. And my mom couldn't find her keys. And so she was walking all upstairs and the Uh, the first floor and asked Brandy, you know, can you help me find my keys? And so they were up there for two or three minutes looking for their keys, and she couldn't find them. And my mom opened up the door to the basement, and she said, Bruce! And he said, they're on the dryer. (laughs) And Brandy went... She couldn't imagine how that possibly could have happened. My dad and my mom knew one another. They'd been married at that point for 25 or 30 years, and now close to 40, they know one another. A relationship is simple. An 18-month-old can experience it, but it's also deeper and richer and more wonderful and profound than anything else in the world. So if you are a person who comes to the question of God as a rational question that needs some answers, you're going to miss God's whole purpose, which is not about an argument to solve, but about a person to know. And so I want to ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? And for John, in both the gospel and in his letters, the way that we come to know him is to first to believe that he is who he says he is to believe that he is who he says he is. And that's the first step in coming to know God. John has many other things that he talks about, about obeying God and about how we love our neighbors. And when we do that, we come to know God as well. But the first step for John is to believe. And so today, here is the call. This Jesus, the Logos, the eternal principle that holds all things together, he became a human being that could be seen and heard and touched. He became a servant to his disciples. He became a servant to us. He became a servant to the whole world by going to the cross and suffering and dying for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right with God. Three days later, he rose from the dead to show the power that he had over the evil one and over death itself. And he invites us to have that kind of relationship with life and with death. That we can experience that eternal life through him. Do you believe? That is the first step to knowing God, is to believe. Let's pray. You weren't You were you weren't here earlier. I already shared it. <laughs> <laughs> I already shared it, Amy. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> You'll have to wait till afterwards, Amy. God, thank you for this good day. We thank you that you have made yourself known to us through Jesus. And we thank you that you, in your love and in your mercy to us, took on flesh and dwelt among us. Became one who we could see and touch and hear. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would know him today. Amen.